in order to recover from these experiences that I had to first acknowledge that, yeah, there's these parts of me that weren't there before and they're in existence now and that they played a critical role in me becoming the person that I am. So I had to acknowledge, express a degree of reverence for who I had to become and also to show gratitude. Hi, I'm Barb Nangle. I want to welcome you to my podcast, Fragmented to Whole Life Lessons from 12-Step Recovery, where I help people heal their emotional, psychological, and spiritual wounds and make deep, lasting changes in their lives. I'm the founder and CEO of Higher Power Coaching and Consulting, LLC, where I coach people on how to develop healthy boundaries. On this podcast, I share my experience, strength, and hope from recovery. I don't support or endorse any particular 12-step recovery fellowship, and I don't claim to speak for any particular 12-step fellowship. I also don't believe that 12-step recovery is the only way to recover. You might need additional help. My hope is that you'll find my words concretely helpful in improving your life, whether you're in recovery or not. This is episode 180 with guest Craig, Addiction and Survival Traits. Thanks, Craig, for coming. I'll bring you on in just a moment. I just want to remind everybody that starting with my 100th episode, I decided to start having guests every 10th episode. And I met Craig, I think four and a half years ago, we were at a convention in New York. And we have stayed connected from time to time. And we were talking not too long ago, I can't remember why we ended up connecting, but we were talking and I was like, hey, would you like to be a guest on my podcast? And he said yes. And so I'm really happy to have him here. And I'm going to let you just take it away and um, share your story. I might pop in from time to time with a comment or to identify, and then I'll jump in at the end. Well, thank you, Barb, for asking me to be part of your podcast. And congratulations on having so many in the can. And I'm happy to be a part of this. So, yeah, so I wanted to talk about addiction and survival traits. You know, a lot of times when folks talk about addiction and survival traits, it always gets like this negative, bad rap. And I wanted to kind of approach it a little differently. You know, my interpretation of addiction and survival traits is that it's a trauma response to the present, to the here and the now. And a lot of those traits come in when we're very young, a lot of times as an infant, as a child, uh, sometimes an adolescent. But it's coming from a high order of intelligence, you know, because you're in a place, you're deciding, okay, I'm going to be here. The tools I have currently are not going to allow me to be here. So if I'm going to be here, then I have to figure it out, right? Because it's, it's either figure it out or get the fuck out of here. So if you're not going to get the fuck out of here, you're going to stay right here mm-hmm. and you're going to come up with some way to coexist in the space that you're in. So for me, my true self, before I took on a lot of these survival traits, before they came to be, was an introvert, creative, just kind of shy child. The world, the whole wide world just felt very intimidating. You know, I saw the the adults circling around me, wondering if they were up for the task. I saw their responsibility. I saw the things that they had to deal with. And I knew very early on, very early on, before I was probably four, that I didn't want to be a part of the burden. You know, I was going to do anything I could to just not add to 
the plate of the people that were responsible for taking care of me. And, you know, I grew up in, in the South Bronx at a time that was probably considered one of the most violent times in New York history. It was a time where uh, it was tons of abandoned buildings. Landlords were paying gang members to burn down the building so that they can get their insurance money and, and flee. So it, it looked like a war-torn place. But my inner children, they saw it as like this amazing amusement park. Of course, there were like abandoned cars parked down a block. There were abandoned buildings. And I'm going to talk about the highlights of living in that space. You know, a lot of times kids would get these Fisher-Price cars and, you know, somebody's pushing them from the back and they're playing driving. I was in a real car. I was in a real car. I'm like, get in the backseat. I'm driving today. And, you know, I'm playing with the gears. And it's like, it's real. It's imaginary. But it's like I'm playing with the real stuff. And because there were so many abandoned buildings, that there was so many, so much building materials that we built these clubhouses that were like three tiers up, like, you know, the crawl space, the next space, and then the lookout tower for the rock fights from the other block. This was like Lord of the Rings in real life, man. This, this shit was really happening. But I knew that the person I showed up in the world as, the shy, creative introvert, was not going to make it. In the environment where gangs were very prevalent and it was a lot of lawlessness and there was things going on in the house as well. So I just like knew like that guy is not going to make it like if, if, if we're going to be here. Right. Because I think when you show up in the, on the planet, there's a decision. You come out, you, you look at what's happening. You're like, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to try. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to try to make a run for this. So, yeah, I said, yeah, you know, it's, it's crazy. But, yeah, I, I want to figure this out. So how can I figure it out? And then these traits come to be. I know I, I have the mascot. The, these are under the, um, the descriptions under dysfunctional families. You know, I have the mascot, which to me, the mascot is, you know, the child that keeps everybody entertained and laughing so that they don't know that the building is burning down. That, that was my job, right? I was also the hero child who also wanted to um, give the family a good name and, and, you know, do well and so forth like that. So I had that. I'm the rescuer, right? The rescuer, that's a, that's, that's a great job, right? You know, that part of me came in handy. I saw some domestic violence growing up, and I remember talking to my six-year-old and telling him how courageous he was and how brave he was and how proud I was of him. My inner six-year-old. And I remember saying that, you know, you're very brave, you're very courageous. To go after a grown man with a knife and protection of your mom and to instill fear in a grown man and to make him stop doing what he was doing. That's like out of this world. Like, where did that come from? Mm. It wasn't the shy introvert. It was this part of me that said, what's going on here does not sit well with me and I'm going to do something about it. So that part of me was born. And what I learned is that in order to recover from these experiences that I had to first acknowledge that, yeah, there's these parts of me that weren't there before and they're in existence now and that they played a critical role in me becoming the person that I am. So I had to acknowledge 
express a degree of reverence for who I had to become and also to show gratitude. And anyone who has ever done inner child work knows that, you know, sometimes in adulthood, the inner child could could run the asylum. Like they could just take over and have you doing a bunch of crazy stuff out there. But I learned what calms them down for me, what calms my inner children down is acknowledgement. Acknowledging the path that they took to get me, you know, to a certain place. And, you know, I liken the experience to to like a mass unit with like military. You know, there's there's this hospital with these soldiers that are coming in and everybody that's in that system, the medics, the nurses, the doctors, the soldiers that are coming in war torn, you know, in order to fight a war, you need somebody that's going to be numb to what's going on because he has a job to do. You need someone that when these soldiers come in, that can be nurturing and caring. You know, that's the codependent, right? You need somebody that's going to have great bedside manner who, while you're there nursing, you know, half of a leg to make you feel okay. That's the same you know, analogy with an inner child going through a certain trauma, right? You have to become who you have to become to make it. And, you know, just like when a soldier comes home, you know, if you're lucky enough to get a parade and you go back to society, there are still going to be moments in that soldier's life that is going to trigger those experiences that he went through. Until he or she today decides to to deal with it, you're going to be trapped in that in that system that allowed you to survive in chaos. You're going to be trapped in that. A car is going to backfire and you're going to hit the deck. For me, I may hear a woman yelling in the background. And if I'm sleeping bed to this day, right? Uh, not so much now, I haven't had the experience, but I, I know with like maybe 10 years ago, before I really started doing this work, that if I heard a woman screaming, it could have been outside, but if it was like came through my window, the doors, I would get up and start running towards that sound before I was fully conscious. That is the automatic response of coming from, you know, those trauma experiences. Those parts of me are, you know, are amazing. They, they are brave, selfless, intelligent. Intelligent is all get out. Psychic, responsible. They help me to get to a place where, you know, I use the analogy of my chariot turned into a pumpkin. So that was my, my inner children got me on that chariot. We got far, right? We got far. And it was like, wait, we're going to turn back into a pumpkin and you're going to have to go back and get that introverted, creative, uh, shy person. And, you know, we're going to help you, but you have to get, get to him. And that's, that's recovery. Right. Recovery is going back to get those best parts of yourself, your true self. Um, something just came over me. It's the memory of the journey of these parts of me becoming who they needed to become to protect who I thought was special, who they obviously thought was special and to get them to a place to say, OK, listen, the war is over. Put down the batons, get rid, get rid of the guns. 
wh- whatever that analogy is for you, the war's over. And um, we think that in that journey, we preserved enough of you that you could start to do some work. And, and we're going to trust you to start to take the lead. It's an honor to be trusted with that task to take the lead. It's, it's an honor to be trusted just to like to go forth and like, let's forge this life and let's start working on dismantling and integrating. And, you know, I worked on so much. The rescue is still in me. I still know how to respond. Today, what I do is like when I say my prayers, I say, you know, you know, God arrest my survival traits and, and give me healthy traits for living. But also let me know when I need to pull that guy off the shelf and put that cape back on, because it may be a task that I may have to do. And I've, I've had to do that so many times where there was a situation presented in front of me. I have an arsenal. You know, I didn't want to like think about it. I'm like, just take it off. It's on the shelf right there. Go get it, put it on, execute. And when you're done, put it back. And then we go back to working on this person that we went and saved, right? So yeah, that's the story. That's the journey. You know, I was thinking about a rocket ship before the podcast that, you know, a rocket ship, you know, to overcome resistance going into the atmosphere that before it really gets to the point where it is soaring, like effortlessly into space, it has to lose parts of itself. You know, these parts have to slowly dismantle so that it can get to that place. And I think that is, I think a lot of that is the human experience, at least that it is for me. To get to a place where I'm the best version of myself, which is the intention I set on a regular basis, is to try to get, you know, that place to be the best version. Not to be perfect, although that is still in there, but I know it's 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 progress, not perfection. That's a lot of the journey. So it's like experience, strength, and hope, right? So where I am today, you know, today I am, you know, a business owner. Uh, I'm a father, two great children. And I have, you know, returned to music probably over the last 10 years. I returned to music, which was a big part of me. And that also comes from growing up in the South Bronx. I grew up at the time when when hip-hop music was beginning. You know, I was there like when the ground was being broken and we were trying out these new ideas and we were, you know, uh, scratching our parents' records and bringing two turntables together and, and dancing differently from the way our parents danced, you know, they danced upright, we went to the floor. So I've returned back to that music and it brings me so much joy to be back in that creative space. I put that on a back burner to, to adult. And, um, you know, I have over 70 songs recorded. I'm getting ready to have this uh, music release. I was influenced, you know, a lot of, a lot of people don't know that hip hop and punk rock we were like cousins. We were kind of like the the bastard children of music at that time. R&B and soul wanted no parts of us. Rock and roll wanted no parts of them. So we banded together and there, there are so many similarities. And if you go back to the beginning of the music, you can see how and where we influenced each other. Uh, Blondie has this song, what's it called? It's like Flash is bad, Flash is cool. Duh. Something, something like, she, she, she was hanging out in the Bronx. Fat Five Freddy had brought her to the, the fever. And she was hanging around all these hip hoppers. And in her space, she did the first rap. 
that was the first rap to really cross over. That was Blondie, you know, because we we were we were right there with each other. You know, one of my claims of fame in the music was that my group uh, D Four was able to bring the electric guitar into that that funky beat sound. That that was one of our big contributions, and um, I feel now the world is ready for that part of me. I don't think they were ready back then, but I feel like now everything that I am, everything that I've gone through, their sing-off pitch, their rap without rhyming, I'm like, you know, it's like this is the perfect time for me to show up. I'm here. I'm here in this space, and I'm, you know, I hope to make a level of noise that is, that's going to make my inner children proud. It's going to make my true self proud. And I, I think the, the music world is going gonna, is gonna to be better for I have a lot of experience. Do you want to say anything about the addiction piece? Because you haven't said anything about that yet. As a survival trace, I see addiction as a trauma response to the present moment, to the here and now. Yeah. Actually, you may have said that in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's another, I, I wouldn't call it a survival trait, but it, w- once you have a certain amount of trauma and these traits come to be, you're predisposed to addiction. It, it may show up in your life somewhere, mm-hmm. whether it's alcohol, drugs, sex, food, gambling, like whatever. Once you have a certain, in my, in my experience, a certain level of trauma and these traits show up, you know, addiction, the possibility of some form of it showing up in your life is, is very high. And if you don't attach to it, per, you know, personally, directly, you may involve yourself with someone who has has that trait because it, it's it's feeding some part of you. I haven't had a drink in almost, you know, almost 28 years, I think now. Nice. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the, the idea to come up with, you know, I think this is a theory. I think kids first just learn how to get high by spinning in a circle a bunch of times. And like, and you stop and you, oh, you're wobbly mm. and you're falling all over the place. Like, you know, oh, I like that feeling. Hey, that's a cool feeling. How, how can I do it without getting dizzy all the time? <laughs> yeah, good point. Yeah. Looking back, I th- think when I came up with that idea of like, you know, having this as a part of my life. You know, before my chariot turns into a pumpkin, I, I think just think it was a high order of intelligence. Mm. It allowed me to be comfortable talking to girls. It allowed me to have dreams and to approach my. I, I feel like I use it as a tool. You know, um, a lot of the guys in my neighborhood were not going to higher education. It allowed me to, you know, to say, you know, to a, a group of pretty tough guys like, you know, at the end of the summer, I'm going to be going to college and knowing I wasn't going to get any flack, you know, because I, I was, I was tough enough too, but to say that and, you know, get the nod, like, okay, you know, you know, do your thing, Craig, like, you know, it, it gave me the courage to, to live out my dreams, man. Like I used to have these, these dreams of, um, you know, I don't know if you remember like these, Time Life magazines and, you know, they used to always have these pictures of a man and a woman on a beach drinking champagne or something like that. Or you would watch these movies. Yeah. 
with Cary Grant and the woman has the uh, champagne in this hand and the guy has his champagne in that hand and they do some interturning and she drinks from yours and she, whatever, it's crazy. It's crazy. It was like, yeah, I want yeah, some part yeah. of that. I got to be a part of that. That's the scene. You know, so like I couldn't do that on the block, you know, like I, I got to get to an island. Yeah. I got to develop a life that's going to allow me to to have an income that's going to take me somewhere tropical and I can have that experience, you know. So for me, it was just yeah. like it, it was it was the carpet to like fulfilling some of my dreams. Mm. You know, I recorded some records going after a life that just wasn't in front of me. Just so to me, it, it, it was a tool. It was a necessary tool that I used. Yeah. And it just it just couldn't go the rest of the way once there was a collective meeting that we, we were going to stop certain behaviors and advance forward. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's my addiction story. Thank you so much, Craig. This was incredibly moving for me. The way that you wove the story together and really talked about like the heroic nature of this false self that had to develop was, I I feel like it's going to take a while for me to integrate what I heard from you because it's a new way of thinking about what happened to me growing up and, you know, having trauma and all that sort of thing. And I also love a metaphor and you did such an incredible job with so many different metaphors and I feel like there's something about learning from metaphor that allows the learning to penetrate much more deeply. It's like an emotional way of understanding something. Yeah, absolutely. And I really want to thank you for just being so eloquent in the way that you wove the story out and also for being super fucking vulnerable on this podcast. And, you know, there's, there's so much more that I would like to talk about, but I'm afraid that we've run out of time. And again, I'm really, really grateful to be in recovery with you and to have learned from you. And I suspect that after this sinks in a little bit, I'll be calling you and saying, can we talk about this and that just to process some of what you shared today. But I really appreciate all the work that you have done to get to this point and also to be able to get to like the understanding that you have and the ability to convey that to people in a way that's really, really relatable. And I'm just so appreciative. So I want to give you the opportunity if you want to be found by people to share what that is on the recording. And then of course, I will also put in the show notes, any way to connect with you. But if people want to find you and you want to be found, how can they do that? Um, we're, we're still putting together all the information, but musically, it's it's going to be Doc Boogie on Instagram and Facebook, and you know we're going to be releasing music and sharing this kind of information as well soon. So it'll be docboogie.com. Okay. So yeah, so uh, slowly we're 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 showing up in the you know, on the platforms. All right. Well, thank you again, Craig, and thank you to all the listeners. I wish you all the best, and I'll be talking to you soon, Craig. Thanks. Excellent. Thank you very much, Barb. Take care. I was recently reminded by a friend that when I first started recovery, I didn't feel lovable. I almost can't believe that I used to feel that way. 
and that I kind of forgot something so profound because I truly love myself now. And I want that for everybody. If you don't love yourself, there's literally nothing that can make up for that. I created something exclusively for my private clients since many of them don't love themselves. And I've now opened up my private vault to share it with up to 10 people individually. It's called the Self Love Sprint. You'll grow to love yourself and truly feel worthy. So you can stop saying yes when you really want to say no. Stop neglecting yourself and putting everyone else first. Stop saying all kinds of nasty shit to yourself. That is not what people who love themselves and feel deserving do. You'll stop being afraid that others will think that you're selfish for taking time to care for yourself. This is also for you if you don't really know who you are because you've always been such a fucking chameleon. Go to higherpowercc.com slash love sprint. Remember, I'm only offering 10 of these, so don't wait. If you like this podcast, and I'm guessing you did or you wouldn't still be listening, then you're gonna love the other things I have to offer. If you'd love pre-release podcast scripts and episodes before anyone else gets them, or if you'd love access to content from my private vault that I developed exclusively for my private clients, which is like having a work session with me without me actually being there, go to patreon.com slash higherpowercoaching. There are three tiers ranging from as low as $4 up to $24 a month. You'll also love my weekly newsletter, Friday Fragments, which has content very similar to the podcast. You can check it out at fridayfragments.news. That's fridayfragments.news. Please like and subscribe to my podcast on your favorite podcast outlet. I'd also love it if you'd leave a review, which you can do either in the show notes or on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find my podcast so they can get the benefits you've gotten from listening. If someone came to mind when you listen to this particular episode, please share it with them. And my favorite place to hang out on social media is Instagram. I'm at Higher Power Coaching. Please DM me there. I'd love to hear what you got from this episode. I run group and private coaching programs on building healthy boundaries. Whether you need help with boundaries in your personal, professional, or romantic life, I can help. Head on over to barbchat.net where you can hop onto my calendar for a free 30-minute Better Boundaries consultation. My ideal client is someone who is ripe for change. If that's you, I would love to work with you. My goal with all my work is to help you make lasting changes in your life like I've made deep lasting changes in my life. Remember, it's never too late to recover. No one is beyond hope and healing is possible. Thanks for listening.